0: please be seated. You've got your Bible with you today. We're going to be continuing in our series on the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10 verses 32 through thirty-five. 45 will be our section today that we'll be looking at. A wonderful, wonderful cent- a section, really in many ways uh, a central verse is found here in Mark and in all of all of scripture. Let's go to the Lord before we read his word. Father, we pray that you'd give us eyes to hear, eyes to see, ears to hear. Open our heart that we might be soft and responsive to your word. Father, we we want to be here. We want you to work in our hearts and our lives uh, for our good and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're picking up again with verse 32. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Um, He's setting his face towards Jerusalem. He knows full well what that will entail, beginning with verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of Gentiles lord it over them, and the great, their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Many of you know, and some of you may even benefit from the fact that qualifying individuals can have their uh, college debt canceled. Up to $10,000 for some and $20,000 for others. And uh, while that is a joy for some of you, no doubt, um, the reality is, is if you don't pay, somebody's going to pay, right? Somebody will pay for the debt. It may be the tax, uh, the American taxpayer, but at some point our debts will be paid. And the Bible speaks of us having a debt. A debt before God, a debt caused by sin. And, um, you know, we kind of did this today. I wasn't thinking that that I would be able to use this object lesson, but when I do funerals as a pastor, one of the things we'll often do is um, we will recite the Lord's Prayer together, and it's usually not printed in the bulletin because still many, many people know the Lord's Prayer. And when I when I'm doing this in a in a group of people that are not just Presbyterian, there's one word I get to and I'm going to have to pause. You know what word that is? Right. It's right. Exactly. Forgive us our debts. You know, half the people say debts, half the people hear are for trespasses. Right. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And um, and so what's going on there? Why? Why the difference? Well, the Lord's Prayer, as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the first verse that talks about this sort of subject there is uses the word debts. And the, the second verse in Matthew uses the term trespasses. And so some of our uh, what we recite, I guess for convenience sake, we just talk about debts and for some we talk about trespasses. But it's the same. When you trespass against God's law, when you sin... You're incurring debt before God. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We have a debt that is owed. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. All right. So how do we take care of that? I owe. I owe. It's off to work I go. Right? Is that, is that right? That's what some of you are doing. You've got mortgages. You've got... Uh, You've got house payments, you've got uh, car payments, you've got college loans, some of you still. I owe, I owe, it's off to work I go, I work for it. Well, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells this parable, Matthew chapter 18, 23 through 25. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now, later in the the parable, he he, uh, has his debt forgiven. But how much debt was that? Well, scholars try to figure out what a talent was worth. And the ESV footnote, that translation of the Bible that some of you would have, you'll notice if you look down there that a a talent was one year's pay. And so he owed 10,000 talents. Well, if I'm doing my math correct, some of you students could correct me on this perhaps, but it's twenty two hundred thousand 200,000 years payment. OK, 200,000 years of earnings would be required for a laborer to pay this debt. And of course, what Jesus is saying is this is a ridiculous amount of debt, ridiculous amount of debt. And that parable is on the subject of forgiveness. And so what is it that causes us to incur uh, a massive debt? We incur a massive debt before God. We've sinned against an infinite God and we incur an infinite debt. Well, it's breaking the commands of God. So the Ten Commandments, good place to start. You shall have no other gods before me, God says. You shall not make unto thee any graven images. We've got all kinds of ways to make those images, to make those uh, idols, we, we turn, the Bible says we turn to money as an idol. Uh, the Israelites, are, uh, they rested on their own military might or the military might of somebody else is the one who would save them. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Jesus said we can commit these things in our heart, not just externally. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey. And then it 10 commandments completes with or anything that is your neighbor. okay, Anything that's his. So we've incurred this debt. How is our debt going to be paid? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, they had a stopgap. Now, I say a stopgap not to imply that somehow uh, this wasn't part of the plan of God, uh, but it wasn't the it wasn't the be all and end all of God's plan. And that was a, a sacrifice was to be made. The shedding of blood was to be made and that shedding of blood was to atone for and to pay for the debt of sin. And yet, of course, that never would pay for it, but there would be one who would be the debt payment. And that is none other than Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, four and five says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body prepared. You have prepared for me the body of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice is a payment made for our debt. So first point, Christ was payment for our debt. The second point is that we need to follow Christ's example of sacrificial service. And then finally, Christ is our ransom payment. He is a particular kind of payment. Christ was payment for our debt. Let's read again verses 32 He will rise the glorious son of man. We've learned about the son of man and that title and that reality that Jesus in the in the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, he comes before the the ancient of days. And we've got this we've got this image in the book of Revelation of of Jesus Christ as the Alpha and Omega, the son of man and and uh, just uh, delightful and absolutely terrifying in glory. And Jesus says, I, as the Son of Man, am going to be delivered twice. First, I'll be I'll be betrayed by my own disciple, Judas, to the Jews, the Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders will then deliver me over to the Roman leadership. And the Roman leadership, and when he began to talk about what was going to happen to him, they knew exactly what he meant. Because this was what the Romans did in execution by means of crucifixion. They would mock And they would spit on the one to be executed and they would whip and flog the one to be executed. That was the son of man. The glorious son of man was going to receive all of these things and he would be killed. But on the third day, he would rise. The son of man in his death on the cross was our payment, our payment. It was debt for our sins Payment for our sins. Colossians chapter two, verse 13. And you who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. How? Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. When the nails went into the cross and Jesus Christ endured that on the cross... It was a nail into the debt that you owed and that I owed because of the consequence of our sins. Jesus paid the debt. Now, not everybody will have their debt paid for. How is it that Christ's payment will be applied to you or to me? Here is... um, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4, speaking of how that happened in the past with Abraham and how it will happen with us. Romans 4, 3, for what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Righteousness. And then verse 23, but the words "it was counted to him were not written for His sake alone, but also but ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification." Or Romans 3:25 says, "God put forward a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith." That big word propitiation. Means that the sacrifice was made to avert the wrath of God, the just punishment that you deserved and I deserved, the debt that we owed. Uh, Jesus would receive the penalty that we deserved, and we would receive a transfer of Christ's righteousness, His perfection, into our account. Now, when does that happen? You know, one of the things I, I love about I love about my phone. I've got this bank app on here. And um, I'm not so old that I can't figure out how to use it, you know. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, get, and I can see exactly how much I have in that account, right, immediately. Uh, it's wonderful. And I, and I even know how to do Venmo. My kids taught me, you know. And so it goes out of one account, goes into another account. I can see it right away. So how is it that you know... That your account has received the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Your debt has not only been paid, but in your account that has got an infinite debt, all of a sudden you've got infinite righteousness. It's not because you worked year after year after year after year. It's because you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And you placed your faith in specifically in what Christ did for you. On the cross, paying for your debt and securing for you a transfer of his righteousness to you, counted by faith as you believe it comes into your account. And, you know, these statements here in our text today are so important, so meaningful, you know, for, for you have, who have ears to hear. There are some that is going to fall on deaf ears. But for some of you, you understand your debt. You understand your need. You understand the consequence of your sins. And my prayer for you today, as you hear God's word, as you hear this truth from God's word about the debt that was paid for you by Jesus Christ, that it will be it will be sweet to trust in Jesus and take him at his word, that you will know what it means right now to have that account paid for in full. So confess your sins, admit admit your debt, come to him, trust in him, transfer your trust in him. It's not in your ability and understand even today what that means for you. Jesus paid your debt. Secondly, we need to follow Christ's example of sacrificial service. Now, uh, there was a very similar section uh, that we've covered prior to this. In Mark chapter 9 verses 30 and following and it was on September 4th if you are interested in kind of looking at it it was Christ um, in the school of righteousness excuse excuse me in the school of greatness so Jesus was teaching us what greatness is all about and so I commend that to you if you want even more information uh, about this particular subject. So here's Mark chapter 10. We begin. I'll begin looking through verses 35 through 44. So Mark 10, 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. So James and John, they're in the inner circle of Jesus. James, John, Peter were sort of the inner circle of the inner circle of his 12 disciples. And don't you love it when somebody says that to you? You know, would you just do... Just do what I ask you to do now, okay? I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to ask you. I remember one time I had somebody do that to me in a, not in this church, another church. A guy came in and he said, now I'm about to tell you something, but you can't tell anybody. Time out. Okay. Hold on here. You know, if, if you're abusing somebody, if you've killed somebody, you know, I have no promises here, guy, you know. And uh, so we began doing this little figurative dance where we said, well, if it's this bad or that bad, okay, so we we finally were clear about what he was essentially talking about. But, yeah, that's what they did. Jesus, do what we want. Okay, what is it that you want? (laughs) Verse 36 and 37. What do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in glory. Now, other than Jesus himself, these were the highest places of honor and potentially power and authority and prestige, certainly. And so that's what they're asking for. And Jesus responds in verse 38. You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said, we are able. Now, we don't usually use this terminology about the cup and the baptism, but... The cup of God's wrath is what Jesus was referring to. And we even talk about being baptized with fire, right? That means things are not that easy. It's difficult. And so Jesus said in Mark 14, 36, let this cup pass from me to his father. And then on the cross in Mark 15, 34, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He endured the, the most excruciating uh, cup of God's wrath the the son of the son of God son of man uh, the perfect one experienced uh, the wrath of God on the cross he didn't deserve it uh, he did nothing to deserve it uh, he did it again for you and for me so that was the cup of wrath the cup in uh, verse ten thirty nine. Uh, the cup that I drink, you will also drink and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but is for those whom it has been prepared. Uh, they, Jesus says, are you able? Oh, yes, we'll be able to drink the cup. No problem. Now, they're not going to drink the exact cup that Jesus drank. Jesus and Jesus alone drank the cup of God's wrath so we wouldn't have to. But he's talking about the things that he had referenced prior to this. He was going to be spat upon and humiliated and, 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 and die on the cross. In fact, we know one of, one of these two uh, met uh, a martyr's death and the other uh, met a, a, a demise by exile. And so Jesus is saying, you're going to go through some real difficulties. And then he goes on to say, but it's not mine to grant. You know, if I were the disciples, I don't know what their response was, but I would have said, uh, maybe I'd like to be a little bit further down from you if I don't have to drink that cup. You know, uh, if I'm going to be right next to you, maybe I want to drink. I don't know if that's how they responded. That might be how I would respond. But Jesus says, sorry, guys, that's not mine. Now, uh, somebody asked me a question about this last week, too, after the sermon about Jesus being God. Now, if Jesus is God, then why isn't it his to give? And that's a, that's a very good question. Uh, it's already been prepared uh, who's going to be in those places of honor. And Jesus isn't the one, uh, and even the eternal son is not the one who has made that, um, made that proclamation, had that determination. When we talk about this, we're talking about the doctrine of the Trinity. In fact, we sang about the Trinity uh, at the, in the very first hymn, and it talked about uh, equal in power and glory. And so Jesus, uh, the, the eternal Son of God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are one God, three persons, equal in power and glory. And, um, you know, when people try to grapple with the mystery of the Trinity, the Bible clearly teaches there's one God, and the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is God, the Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Now, how do people grapple with that mystery? Well, oftentimes they end up in heresy. They teach what the Bible doesn't teach. And one of the ways that people do that is they say, Jesus wasn't God. Okay, we know there's one God, Jesus wasn't God. Or sometimes they say, there's not one God, but three gods. Because the Bible clearly teaches that they are all three God. But the Bible teaches both of those truths. And there is mystery to that, that there's one God in three persons, equal in power and glory. However, we can talk about what's sometimes called the economic trinity. That is, the, that within the trinity there are certain jobs. And so the Father plans the work of creation. And redemption, we're talking about redemption. It's just a fancy word of saying making a payment to buy us back, right, the ransom. So the Father plans creation and redemption. The eternal Son mediates creation and redemption. The Bible says that all things were created through Christ and for Christ. Do you know that? That Jesus Christ, that the Son, the eternal Son, created all things And, of course, he affected, he mediated our redemption with his death on the cross. And then the spirit brings to completion creation and redemption. And uh, the Bible says that when the earth was formless and void in Genesis 1-1, who was there? The spirit hovering over the waters, bringing about uh, a forming and a filling, the bringing a completion to creation and redemption he does when he works in your heart. And he softens your heart and he opens your eyes to the wonder and the beauty of your need for Jesus Christ. And you embrace him by faith. He brings to completion that redemption. Right? A little theology lesson this morning. Just to take a little time here to talk about this when Jesus says it's not mine. And so the father had planned this and prepared this. And then after this discussion, Mark 10, 41, when when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Hmm. How dare they. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know, that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And the disciples, the ten were indignant um, And so Jesus says to them that greatness, as we learned when we discovered this last time, was that greatness is found in not being the greatest, the one who's in authority, the one who has the most power, but the one who serves. Greatness is found in serving. Now, there's nothing wrong with authority in and of itself. It's good, but it's not great. A great leader, somebody who's in authority and is great, is one who, as that leader in that leadership, serves and has come to serve rather than to be served. Now, there are ways in which people do uh, wield authority in bad ways. And we see Jesus referencing to that, referencing that in verse thirty forty-two. 42. He says that they lord it over them. That word "lorded over them is used in Acts 19, 16. Uh, And that says this. And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Right. That's lording it over them. That's the that's domineering. And if first Peter, chapter five, three says not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, that's. Peter talking about elders in the church and saying that your responsibility, at elders, is not to be domineering or lording it over them, but instead serving them. There was a, a church um, not in our community, not in our area, not one of our in our denomination. But I heard a situation where there was an elder in the church. And on a Friday, he came to another uh, couple in the church, a family in the church. And um, he said, my wife and I, uh, we need we need time away. We need a break. And we're just going to drop our kids off at your house and you'll take them for the weekend. Yeah, that's a domineering view of authority. He said, because we are in authority, we are your elders. We're going to just I'm your elder. I got to have a lot of guts to do that. Right. But that's domineering. Right. That is a domineering authority. And that is lording it over. Instead, we're called to give and be self-sacrificial. And that is what's most valuable in the economy of God, not position, not ruling, not power. So we find here that there is a greatness in serving. The disciples, apparently, they didn't want to make costly sacrifice for others. They wanted to be served rather than serve. And so Jesus says, you've got to serve. Be a servant, verse 43. Now, that word uh, servant is the word we get, actually, the, the deacons. We've talked about deacons and the diaconate. diakonos is the term, uh, the word in the Greek, the, the Greek that the Bible was written in. And really, the original connotation of that was to wait on tables, uh, serving, waiting on tables. And so we are to, to serve in this way. We are to serve others, whether we're in leadership or not. Uh, we, are to, we are to have that attitude. Now, I've said this in, in premarital counseling uh, before, um, That, uh, and I think maybe I need to adjust it a little bit to not sound so sexist. But I think there's truth to it, and that is this. If you're a woman... And uh, you're dating somebody or you're engaged to somebody and you want to know how that person might treat you when you're out at a restaurant. How is this man treating the server? Right. There is a there is, by the way, an authority structure within the family in the home. And so the question is, how does this person treat somebody who is serving them? Do they treat them with dignity and respect? That's the word for service. And then he goes on to say, but the one who is first must be the slave of all. And that slave, that word for slave is doulos. And that's actually even a lower rung in the uh, in the economy and the way things were done at that time. The slave was a very, very low position. And, you know, there are perks of being in authority, aren't there? Uh, you know, President Trump famously had a, a little red button on his desk. It wasn't the nuclear button. It was the button for a Diet Coke. And he would press the button and a butler would come in with a silver platter with a Diet Coke on it. Wouldn't that be nice? Kids, what would you do if you had a, if you had a button in your room? What What would it be that you would want to have somebody come in with? You know, President Reagan, some of you are old enough to remember Ronald Reagan famously, um, loved jelly beans. And after his inauguration, there was a standing order placed for 720 bags of jelly beans a month. Jelly bellies. Be on Air Force One, it'd be in all his offices. Think about that. Wouldn't that be nice? Authority has its perks. And so Jesus says, look, the Son of Man came, what? Not to be served, but to serve. And so Jesus calls on us to have that same attitude that he had. Who would you wait on today? Who would you serve today? Where has God placed you today that you would, like Jesus, come to to serve rather than to be served And finally, we find that Christ is our ransom payment. It is a specific kind of payment. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ made this great payment. He came to serve. He was the one that the Bible says of that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And yet in his authority, in in comparison to the president of the United States, the president's authority and power is minuscule compared to the eternal son of man for whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And yet he came to make the payment. Now, when we talk about a payment, that can just sound very transactional. It can sound very dry. But Jesus came willingly. We see from the text that he came with a purpose. He set his uh, face towards Jerusalem. He knew exactly what was coming. The people around him were afraid. The people around him were concerned. And he kept moving, not because he was resigned to it, but because that was his purpose in coming. And his purpose was to make that payment for us, giving the best he could give, what was necessary for you and for me. Um, You know, that simple little kid song, Oh, How He Loves You and Me? He gave his life. What more could he give? So Jesus Christ gave what he gave because he loves you and he loves me. He wasn't just fulfilling some kind of obligation, although he was in obedience to his father. He did what he did because he loved us. Romans chapter five, verses six through eight says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Ephesians 5, 2 says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So Jesus loves us and he gives himself up for us. And then it goes on to say a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, that's important to also note that this payment was made to whom? There were some in the early church, first centuries of the church, that said the payment that Jesus made was actually to Satan. It was actually to the devil to free us from the clutches of Satan. And in truth, it's, it is true that the payment that Jesus made did secure that, He secured our release. Uh, From the, the dominion of darkness, he brought us into the kingdom of light, the Bible says. But the payment was made not to Satan, but to God. The payment was made to fulfill the just demands of God's law and the penalty and the debt that we incurred before God. That's why Jesus Christ came. Colossians one thirteen and fourteen, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. First Peter one eighteen and nineteen, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. He was the ransom of The payment made for you and made for me. Global Guardian is a global security company, and uh, they have um, stated through their research that uh, the ransom sought in a typical kidnapping of a U.S. citizen ranges from $30,000 to $100,000. You might like to know that. Just a little factoid for you. Another source says the average ransom demand worldwide for kidnapping in 2021 was up 42 percent. Seems like covid had an impact on the uh, ransom demand uh, going up. Also inflation. And uh, it is now at three hundred sixty eight thousand nine hundred and one dollars as the average ransom demand. Now, in the case of Jesus, it was not made with money but it was made with Jesus as a person. He was the ransom. He was the payment. And most of you are probably familiar with the American contractor that was held hostage in Afghanistan, um, Mark Frerichs. He was a former Navy veteran, uh, Navy diver, and then he was serving as a civil engineer, a civilian contractor. He was abducted uh, near Kabul, held captive by uh, the Taliban-linked a network, And then just recently, uh, he was exchanged at the Kabul airport uh, for somebody that we had been holding, uh, Bashir Norzai, that was convicted in 2005 of smuggling $50 million worth of heroin from Afghanistan and Pakistan, and he was serving a life sentence. And so person for person, but it was a swap, right? One did not give up his life for the other. Certainly there was not a uh, there wasn't a a righteous one giving up his life for the uh, one who is unrighteous to go free. But in the case of Jesus Christ, it wasn't just a swap. He was the perfectly righteous one. And he willingly gave his life as your ransom payment. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he gave his life as a ransom for people all over the world, a ransom for many. And so my question is, will you know what it means to be ransomed by Jesus Christ today? To experience that for the first time by placing your faith in him right here. You don't have to walk an aisle just in your heart. You know that you trust in him. You know that you need him. And you know that he loves you and has provided that for you in his ransom payment. And that debt can be removed right now by faith in Jesus' ransom payment. And for those of you who have been freed by the ransom of Jesus Christ, he says to you, I want you to live the way that I've lived. That you would also live to serve, not to be served. Not that somehow you would earn your way into God's good graces. You've already got that. The perfect sacrifice, the perfect ransom, the infinite payment of Jesus Christ. You don't have to earn a thing. But now that you know him, live for him and live and serve as Jesus himself served. First Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. Men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the ransom of Jesus Christ and all that that means to us. It means first and foremost that we no longer experience your wrath. That the the wages, the debt that we've incurred by our disobedience to you, is no longer a barrier between us and you. and We will know you forever, and that will begin now. We thank you for the payment of that, that price, Jesus. We thank you uh, for the um, not only satisfying our debt, that we're out of debt, but now we've got an infinite amount in our account because of what you've done for us. And we trust in that. And we pray, Father, that even as we continue to sin... Uh, that you would help us to more and more lead lives that reflect who you are as our leader, our master, our savior. That just as you came into this world not to be served, but to serve, that we, too, uh, would live not to be served, but to serve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue to praise our God.